Well, church, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 3. We are in verse 8 for a message entitled, How to See Good Days. You know, in school, they taught me English, science, physical education, art, math. Well, they tried to teach me math. I mean, I even learned the trombone. They taught me so many things, but this is a class that I'm going to advocate we start teaching in the Russellville School District. So if you have kids in that class and you are a parent, my hope is that this will be a class coming up, which is how to see good days, because our world tells us how to see good days. Our world tells us you got to do this, this, and this, and then you will see good days. And then we see very successful people do exactly what they're told, but yet their lives end in tragedy. They don't see good days. But the beautiful thing about our text today is that the Bible says this. Do you want to see good days? Then do these things. And here's the thing. I would venture to say that all of us want to see good days. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So let's focus on that first part, verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, finally, as in we talked about in the past, how we as Christians are supposed to operate under a government, how we're supposed to operate as an employee and as an employer, how we're supposed to operate as a spouse. And he says, now, finally, all of you, all of you have unity of mind, unity of mind. God is very, very focus on unity. And here's the thing, the unity that we have today as we all come together is right there. The cross that Jesus paid for all of the sins that we have ever committed. And we are unified by Christ. That's why we're here. And so the number one reason why you're here is because you've been saved, you've been set apart, you've been born from above. We are unified by Christ. Sympathy. The dictionary says this, sympathy, feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. So the Bible says that we're supposed to have unity and sympathy. Sympathy. So when someone's going through something really hard, you come into that world and you weep with those who weep. You look at their misfortune and think, you know what, I'm going to enter into that. I'm going to have sorrow. I'm going to be a part of what is going on in your life. There's a very rich guy that um, our family kind of grew up uh, around. And uh, it's interesting, when things go wrong, he gets away. 
he, he's not a Christian. So when things start, start to bum him out, he wants to be as far away from that as possible. He doesn't want any of the misfortunes of others or the sorrows of others to be a part of his life. He wants it out of his life. But it says this, that the Christian should come to those that are brokenhearted. We are to be a sympathetic people. Brotherly love, which is to love other Christians. If you have brotherly love, it just means that you love other Christians. Now, we're called to love our enemies, but in this passage, it's saying, hey, love one another. Brotherly love. A tender heart, which means just to be merciful. Man, don't you just love tender-hearted people, merciful people? I've got a friend like that back home. He's just a very merciful person. Sometimes I can get really worked up about things and overly concerned if I like break something of someone else's. I'm like, oh no, this is terrible. But he's the most merciful person. He's like, hey, just don't, don't worry about it. It's, no, it's good. Don't worry about it. He just gives me merciful, mercy and mercy. I just love being around this guy. Humble mind. A humble mind. Here's the thing. A humble mind, the opposite is a prideful mind. And the interesting thing is that no one likes to be around a prideful person. Christians, non-Christians don't like to be around prideful people. But we're called to be a humble people. And here's a big one. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling, which is abuse, for reveling. Let me say it in a different way. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. So we're supposed to be a people that forgive and let things go. We don't return evil for evil. When someone does something evil to you, you think, oh man, I cannot wait to get them back. I'm going to write you down in my book. There is a movie that we really like to watch called The Quiet Man with John Wayne, John Wayne, and there's the big, uh, the character that is in opposition to him, he's this really wealthy guy, and when people, like, get on this guy's bad side, he has this little guy that follows him around, and he says, get your book out, write this name down, and he writes the name down of the person that he's going to repay evil for evil, he has that book. So we as Christians are not supposed to have that little black book that we carry around and think, okay, I'll remember this one. No, we don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. But what are we supposed to do right there? It says bless. Bless. We're supposed to bless. Have you ever thought that when you say, hey, bless you. Oh, man, bless you, brother. God bless you. Well, what that means is to speak well of, to speak well of. And so when someone does something evil to you, the Bible says that you are to speak well of them. Tell me that is not hard to do. Because here's the thing is that everything within our flesh says, listen, you wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. But the scripture's telling us right here, listen, when someone wrongs you, you bless them, which is you speak well of them. You speak well of them. Now it goes on, verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, I think that would be all of us, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking 
deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, the righteous, the righteous, the right standing before God. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, here's what happened. Is that Peter is explaining to these people that are going through persecution. They're going through hard times. And he, he's explained to them how they should interact with society, with their spouse, with their employer. And then he says this. But when things go bad, these are how you are to act. And he does something very interesting here, is that he quotes a psalm, which is Psalm 34. So if you will, turn to Psalm 34, because we want to know, out of everything in the Bible, why does Peter quote Psalm 34? Now here's the fun thing about studying God's Word, is that we are going to go on an epic journey in the development of Psalm 34. Because here's the thing. A lot of times when someone says something, like, man, you just need to give God glory. You look at their life and you say, yeah, the reason why you can say that is because you haven't had to go through anything hard. Your life is good. Things are going well for you. And so sometimes we discount what people say that are good things because we look at their life and think, well, listen, of course you say that because your life is so easy. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at this psalm and first find out who wrote it. In your Bible, who does it say wrote this psalm? Tell me. Someone yell it out. David. That's what I'm talking about. David. And it says this. When he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out. And he went away. Now, if you are one that just charges through the scriptures and you see that, you're like, okay, I don't exactly know what they're talking about. But then you go on and then you soak up all the truths from Psalm 34, which is awesome. Beautiful. Soak up Psalm 34. It's amazing. But let's get the backstory of what is being talked about where it says a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what that means. So that he drove him out and he went away. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you this quote. Quote, the Philistine king is called Ashish in 1 Samuel, but the dynastic title of the Philistine kings was Abimelech. So we're talking about a king here. As in the, little, as in the title of the psalm, Egyptian rulers were called Pharaoh and the Amalekite kings called Agag. Okay, so here's what we got to know is that there is the story in 1 Samuel that will explain what was going on right after Psalm 34 or right before Psalm 34 was penned. But before we get there, let's look at this man, David. David, David. Kids, tell me something that David did. What did David do? He killed the giant Goliath. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. What we're going to do is we are going to go on a journey through David. David. And here's what I want you to think. Were things awesome and easy for David? 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons 
passed before Samuel. So here's what happened, is that Saul did something bad. God said, hey, Saul, you are no longer going to be king. I'm going to bring another king. And Jesse had all these boys. So Samuel goes, and it says, And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful and had beautiful eyes and handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So here's what happens, is that Samuel thought these other boys of Jesse would be king. He's looking on the outward, but then they got this little ruddy, handsome guy out there in the field. He comes in and God said, that's the man, David, that's the one who's going to be king. Now, you think, well, that's a pretty good life. You're out there watching sheep, and next thing you know, you're going to be anointed king. Rusty, tell me what's so bad about this. Well, watch what happens. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so here's what happens. is that Saul starts getting tormented by an evil spirit, and David can play this instrument called the lyre. And so they bring David in. When Saul's getting tormented, he plays this instrument, and then things start to go better for Saul. Look in verse 17. Now the Philistines, or, or, or chapter 17, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at the Sokal, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokal and Ezekah, in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up the line for battle. Okay? Now, verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, here's the thing. Six cubits and a span. How tall is this? Because it's pretty interesting. I got a tape measure. I need, uh, I need one child to come up here. Miss Bethany, can you look out there and pick me out one child that can come out here and help me with this? Aiden, 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 come here. All right, now, the Bible says this, that one cubit is about 18 inches. About 18 inches. And it says here, how many cubits? Six. So, knowing that I'm not the best at math, what is 18 times six? It's 108, which is nine foot, but it says plus a span. You say, okay, how, how much is a span? Well, a span, a standard measurement distance between ends of thumb and little finger of spread hand, which is one half cubit, which is... That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, nine feet, nine inches. Okay. Aiden, you go down there, and I'm going to pull up. 
Okay, we, we're going to together try to get to nine feet. So go all the way to the ground. Okay, wait, you know what? Let me just pull it out this way first. Okay, nine foot. Okay, Aiden, how do we do this? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, right there. Okay, you go all the way to the ground. Oh, I can't even get there. Okay, it's like... It's like that tall. Now, some of you could think, Rusty, really, it's, it's not literal. Oh, no, it's literal. Here's the interesting thing. Do you know how tall the tallest recorded person from the Guinness Book of World Records is? It says this, quote, The tallest man in medical history for whom there is irrefutable evidence is Robert Pershing Wald, Wadlow, of Alton, Illinois, who, when last measured on 27th of June, 1940, was found to be 8 foot 11.1 inches. 8 foot 11 point. So it's almost, almost 9 feet tall. So before, okay, you can let it go. Before you read this to your kids and someone says, well, wait, how tall was that? Well, actually, Goliath was 9'9". But you know what? That's not literal. That's a figurative. Well, here's the thing. Why wouldn't it be literal? The tallest person in the Guinness Book World Records was almost 9 feet tall. I've seen pictures of this. You guys should go home. Type in how the tallest person that ever lived. Well, it's not ever lived because, but in recorded history, this guy is crazy big. They said when he was like 12, he could carry his dad around. And then there's like, when he was a little bit older, 170 men, he could carry him upstairs. He's huge. He's huge. He's kind of like Ethan. <laughs> kind of. But it's this massive man. And so look at this. He, Verse 5, and he had a helmet of bronze on his head. This is Goliath. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, we all know the story. All the Israelites were scared. David, 1 Samuel 17, 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. So think about this story. You got David, you know, he's this little ruddy guy. And then you got Goliath, who's 9-9. And David is running at him and throws the stone, hits Goliath. He had total faith in the Lord. David is rocking it. He's doing amazing things. Goliath goes down. David goes over. Men, don't you like when people tell the rest of the story? David goes over there. He doesn't have a sword. Goliath has a sword. He takes Goliath's sword, takes it, and chops his head off, brings his head, and he's carrying it around. This is the one who defies the God of Israel. And now here's his head. David had confidence in God. And now, let's watch what happens to the one that God anointed, God used. And you think, well, yeah, that's a pretty easy life. 
1 Samuel 18, 6-11, As they were coming home, when David turned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. Things are going well. And David, his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, and me they have ascribed thousands. Verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. All you son-in-laws, has your dad, has your father-in-law ever tried to kill you? Has your father-in-law ever tried to kill you? Because think about it. God used... David anoints him king. He uses him to kill the Philistine Goliath. And now his father-in-law is chucking spears at him, trying to kill him. 1 Samuel 19, 1-2, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants and they, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in secret place and hide yourself. So his brother-in-law is saying this, Hey, my dad's trying to kill you. And then 1 Samuel 19 9 through 11 says, Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with the spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. So here's the thing. Any, if you're David and you're playing the lyre and Saul's over there with a spear, you know, you know you'd be like, you know, keeping an eye on your father-in-law because he's trying to kill you. Now here's where we get to explain Psalm 34. This is what happened before Psalm 34. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21, starting at verse 10. So this is what happened before. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Ashish, the, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another? Of him in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath. Verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. 
He pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. Think about this. The anointed king of Israel, the one who God used to slay Goliath, is now acting nuts and letting spit come down his beard because he's afraid of this king. Verse 13, Then Asher said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, now we're going to read Psalm 34, the one who first Peter quoted. And now you know the backstory. You know David, what he's gone through so far. Things have been great, but now he's been tried to, he's been tried to be killed by his father-in-law, and he's on the run. So if you've been tried, to, if your father-in-law has tried to kill you more than once, and you're on the run, this is a beautiful psalm for you. And think about the bitterness could be in David's heart or the wanting to pay, repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. Think about all the rage that could be pent up in David's heart. Because in our world, in psychology today, they want to pin everything wrong with you on someone else. And they want to justify your behavior, your sinful behavior. Here's what the Bible says on how to have a good life. And here's what it says of David, Psalm 34, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. Here it is. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Think about that. Maybe he's pinning this in that cave. He's on the run. His father-in-law is trying to kill him. He's away from his wife. And he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt in his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. He's still on the run. But yet he could say, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. Saying, no matter what you're going through, if things are really hard for you right now, man, you can say this psalm. You can say, I sought the Lord. Now don't answer, don't say the, the next half until the Lord delivers you from all your fears. But you do want to be able to lay, leave here saying, I sought the Lord. And he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5, those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, this next section, verses 12 through 16, are what Peter quotes. 
So imagine this. Peter, he has this group of Christians and they're going through a hard time. They're going through persecution. Peter would eventually be put to death. And he says this. He's quoting what David wrote when he was on the run. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. How hard would that be if you got a group of people and you're like, you're with them and you just want to say, hey, listen, my father-in-law, he's, he's, he's blanky, blanky, blanky. He's trying to kill me. But here he's saying, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Saint, the reason and the way that David could say these words is because he totally believes verse 15. If you're an underliner, you ought to underline verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Saying, here's the thing. The higher your view of God, the easier it will be for you to say Psalm 34, 12 through 16. Here's what I mean. is that when you fully believe that God is in control, as David did. Even though David's life is really hard right now, he still can say these words because he believes that his God is in control. So now let's apply it to our lives as we close. No matter what I am going through, no matter what you are going through, if you are a Christian, you have full assurance that God is in control and the second that he wants to deliver you from your trial, he will. He will not deliver you a second early, and he will not deliver you a second late. In his perfect timing, he will deliver you. He will answer you. When you cry to him, when your marriage is falling apart, or you have a wayward child, and you come, and you say, I have sought the Lord. I have sought the Lord. And now you're waiting for an answer. Saint, I will tell you this. You can believe Psalm 34 because your God is on the throne. He's in control. And so the higher you have a view of God, the more you think, there's nothing in life that I cannot go through because I know my Father is ultimately in control. Does not mean that your father-in-law won't try to murder you. It doesn't mean that you won't be on the run. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. If you look at David's life, it was not easy. But God never left David. 
he always answered David. Doesn't mean he always answered David exactly how David wanted, but he always answers. And so, Saint, as we come back around, if we want to see good days, let's go over that. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, highlighting in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Your word is amazing. How you can allow people to go through such hard times, yet they continue to worship you and praise you. Lord, it's just a testament that you are who you say you are, that you are in control, and that you love us and that you have a plan for us. Father, help us to trust the plan. Help us to trust the trials that we're going through, that you can remove them at any second, and that, Lord, if it's your will, they'll be prolonged. Lord, help us to see what you're calling us to do in our trials. Lord, you say that you work all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, you have called all those that have received you as their Lord and Savior. Father, help us to have a trust in you, that you're in control, that you have a plan, and that we can trust you. Bless us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if you'll stand with me. This is our time of invitation. So what I'm doing is I'm inviting you.